This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Philippians chapter 1, just by way of review. Uh, the church of Philippi was a church that Paul himself had started. Uh, he uh, pastored it for a short period of time, moved on, uh, and began to plant other churches. It was his first church that he had ever planted in Europe, uh, planted in the area of Greece in the city of Philippi. And so it was a, the uh, church that he started. He left uh, there and traveled for about 10 more years and then uh, writes a letter to the church of Philippi. So it's kind of their former pastor writing a letter back to them. Uh, Paul has a lot of appreciation for this church. This is a letter of joy that Paul writes. He's really excited about what God has continued to do since he's been gone and the way that they've been able to, to love and encourage and support Paul through this time of him being away. Paul writes from prison. Uh, he's under house arrest right now, not necessarily in a prison cell like you and I might think of, but we still refer to this as one of his prison epistles or prison letters uh, written by Paul. And so Philippians chapter one is where we find ourselves this morning. We're going to start in verse number one. We're going to read down through verse number 11. Really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time is in verses seven through 11 uh, this morning. We titled today's message, Growth in Godly Love. Philippians chapter one, starting verse number one. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet or appropriate for me to think of this of you all, because I have you in my heart, as much as both in my bonds and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace." For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in all the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That you may prove things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. As Paul writes this letter, he just in his opening words here, you can tell he has a lot of care and affection for the church. Again, he had pastored this church once upon a time, and no doubt in the 10 years since he had left, some people had left the church. Uh, some people had probably passed away during that time. Some new people had probably come into the church. And so Paul's writing to a church, and he's not just thankful for what he remembers about them, but he's thankful for them and what they continue to do. And Paul, as you, if you read through chapter number one, he goes back again and again and again to this idea of the partnership together in the gospel. And Paul says something very early on in this, uh, this passage in verse number uh, seven here, even as it is meet or appropriate for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch both in my bonds and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. Paul realized that he had received God's grace. God had done things for Paul that he did not deserve. And this tight-knit friendship, this tight-knit relationship that Paul had for the church of Philippi was really rooted and grounded in the common grace that they had, that they shared in. 
the church is different from any other organization. You might be a member of a, a country club where you go and play golf or uh, eat at the, the country club restaurant. You might be a part of a, uh, a group of people who get together and read books in a book club. You might be a part of a group that gathers together and cleans up trash on the, uh, the side of the road or does beach or trail cleanup. You might be a part of a, a, a group that gathers together for other purposes, maybe around music or uh, play football and things like that, fantasy football league. You got a lot of different groups you can gather together for. One of the cool groups that I think that our city has is there's actually a rugby group uh, that meets out at Kapilani Park and they play rugby on the weekends. I don't know anything about rugby. It's just fun to watch. It's like football without the rules. Like uh, you don't wear pads. Uh, somebody gets tackled, they can stand up and keep running. I don't understand how that works, but they just keep going. And they can kind of throw the ball to whoever they want to. And it, I, I don't understand it, but it's highly entertaining. It's fun to watch. And these guys that are out there playing are big uh, hammering each other without pads, man, it's fun to watch. And so if you're part of a club like that, it's a cool club to be a part of. But here's the thing, Jesus created not just a club for us to be a part of, Jesus created a family for us to be a part of. You see, everybody in this room and everybody in the, the church that Jesus started comes from a different cultural background. You have different life experiences. Uh, you, you came from a different place than I did. You grew up in a different place you have your own things that you bring to the table for the family. And so what unites us is the grace that we have all received through Jesus. Jesus connects us all. But it wasn't always like this. You and I were not born automatically into the family of God. You and I were actually born as enemies of God. You and I were born against God and against God's plan for our lives. And because of that, uh, the Bible says that we were born at odds with God that we've all were born into our sin. Uh, the Bible says that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all broken God's law. God has rules that he wants everybody to follow and you and I have not broken a couple of them. We've broken all of them again and again and again. And the Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one, that none of us are perfect and none of us are without fail. And so if you come to church and you're, you're bummed out because we told you that you're a sinner, we're just telling you that you're a human being and that makes you a sinner. We're not trying to point out anyone in particular sin this morning. We're all sinners who come short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us. And because of that, the Bible says that there is consequences associated with our sin. There's a price that you must pay because you've sinned against God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, all of us are going to die one day because we've sinned against God. But that's not the end of it. The Bible says that when we die, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. That when you and I die, we'll stand before God, and God will pronounce upon us our judgment, and we'll go one of two places. We'll go to heaven or we'll go to hell. There's nowhere in between, just, just the two of those. And most of us in this room would like to think that we're going to heaven. Man, I, I wanna believe that if there's a place to go, I would go to heaven. And when I talk with people and I say, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? They, most people would say, I, I hope so, I think so. I've got a pretty good indication that that might be the way that I'm headed. Unfortunately, that belief is usually founded on a faulty foundation, the idea that uh, you know good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell, and when we get to heaven, maybe there's gonna be this big scale where our good outweighs our bad, and if it does, then we get to go to heaven, but if our bad outweighs our good and we've been a really bad person, then we'll go to hell. The Bible says that there's no such scale like that in heaven that we don't get to go to heaven or hell based on what we've done or how good we are. The Bible says we're all going to hell. That's a terrible thought. But 
That's because we've sinned against God. The wages of sin is death. Death and hell, that's what we get because we've sinned. But here's the best news you'll ever hear in your entire life. And if you get nothing else out of today's message, I want you to clue in for this. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins so that you don't have to go to hell when you die. God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I was supposed to die for my sin. Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to be punished for my sin. Jesus was punished in my place. I was supposed to endure pain and suffering because of my sin. Jesus took the pain and suffering for me so that I don't have to. But you've got to make that decision for yourself. You have to choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says that for you to receive forgiveness, you must be saved or born again. Those words mean exactly the same thing. Jesus in John chapter three is talking to a very religious man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is, Jesus says to him in John chapter three, verse number three, this is critical. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You have to be born again. You have to be saved to go to heaven. And Nicodemus goes, wait a minute. I'm an old man. Am I supposed to become small again and be in my mother's womb so I can be born a second time? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're born once physically and you have to be born again spiritually. There has to be a time in your life where you've been saved. Jesus, John chapter 14, verse number six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus says, I'm the only way to heaven. If you're looking to get there another way, you're missing it. So, have you been saved? Have you been born again? There has to be a time, a date, a place where you remember this is when I put my faith in Jesus. This is when I asked him to save me. For me, I was a nine-year-old boy. I recognized that I'd sinned against God and I needed to be saved. My dad sat down and we went through some Bible verses. And at the end, I prayed and I told God, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve to go to hell. I know that I'm not good enough to make it to heaven. And I'm asking you to save me and forgive me of my sins. In April of 1986, I was saved as a little boy. Now, have I been perfect since then? No way. But I've lived a forgiven life. Doesn't mean that you'll never sin again. Doesn't mean that you'll never sin against God or do anything wrong. It just means that you now live as God's child. You're no longer an enemy of his. You've been adopted into his family. And when Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he says, we're partakers of this grace. That's the grace he's talking about. You see, I don't deserve to go to heaven. I've broken God's law. But God, because he is gracious, allows me to go to heaven because of what Jesus has done. I don't deserve God's blessings, but God gives them anyways because he's gracious. And so when Paul says, we're partakers together of this grace, that's what he's talking about. We've all received this gift from God called Jesus. And if you're here today, and there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior, you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know for sure if I die today, heaven's my home. Don't leave here without knowing for sure that Jesus is your Savior, that heaven is your home. It's the best decision that you'll ever make. And Paul, because he says, we've, we've enjoyed this grace together, we share a common bond now. And he says in verse number nine, if you take a look in our text this morning, I pray that your love may abound yet more 
Paul says, I got these feelings for you. I have a longing to see you. I desire to see you. My heart is full when I think about you. I pray for you all the time. And he says, and your love that you have, I want you to take it up to the next level. And when we talk about growing in love, we need to understand, first of all, that we as Christians, we must be a people of love. The Bible says that God is love. God is the source of all love. Love is not something that God does. Love is who God is. And we, as Christians, need to be a people of love. If we're not loving as Christians, we're not being good Christians. Let's just say it that way. And so... We must be a people of love. And so Paul, as he writes to the church of Philippi, they were obviously a very loving church. He says, I want you to take it up to the next level. Huikala, I believe, is one of the most loving church families I've ever been a part of in my entire life. I want us to take it up to the next level as well. I want us to continue to grow in our love that we have as well. Matthew chapter 22, there's a guy who thought he was really slick. He came to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, tell me what's the most important commandment. It's like going up to a police officer and saying, hey, excuse me, officer, can you tell me what the most important law that I have to follow is? <laughs> what would we say to that? Most important law to, to follow today? Don't kill anybody. That's really important. What about stealing from people? That would be important too. What about, we could come up with a lot of different things. And so this guy thought he was going to stump Jesus. What's the most important commandment in all the Bible? Jesus says, easy. <laughs> you can't stump Jesus. Jesus says, the first is this. Love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, and mind. Every fiber of your being, I want you to love God and put him first in every area of your life. And the second is like unto it, because if you love God really well, you'll love your neighbor the same way that you love yourself. And Jesus said this. This really sums up all of what the Bible says. The Bible cover to cover is just this, love God, love other people. He says, on this hang all the law and the prophets. So life is really just about loving God and loving other people. That's what Jesus said. So if we are people who are not loving as people, then we're not doing what Jesus said and we're not fulfilling our role as the church if we are not loving well. So we have to be a people of love. And Jesus goes even further to say that love is a defining characteristic of a follower of his. If you're gonna be a disciple of Christ, a committed follower, Jesus said this, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, your love one for another. That's what he says. Jesus didn't say, by this shall all men know that you're my disciple because you wear Christian t-shirts or you listen to Christian radio or because you have a, a Bible on your desk at work. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you have a, a Christian bumper sticker with a fish on it. By this shall all men know that you're my really, really committed disciple because you have the, the little Darwin with the feet fish that's being eaten by the Christian fish, right? That's how people know you're like next level Christian. That's not what Jesus said. He said, your love. No, think that any of those things are bad. I mean, we at Huicala have Christian t-shirts that say Huicala Baptist Church. I encourage you to wear them as a way to, to spark conversation and to, to live out your faith in a real tangible way. Uh, I got nothing wrong with that, but if you think wearing that and not loving makes you a Christian, Jesus says you're wrong. I'm all for stickers. You want to put stickers on your car? Hey, I've never met a church with more stickers than we have, right? We're a sticker kind of church. I love stickers. But hey, look, if you think by putting stickers on your car or your water bottle or your laptop or your phone or something like that means that you don't have to be loving, you miss the boat. Jesus says this, all people shall know that you're my disciples, committed followers by your love for other people. So again, the way that we live our life, incredibly important 
to Jesus. And he says, that's going to be a defining characteristic of if you're a follower of me or not. And when we talk about love, it's important to understand that love is a choice, not an emotion. So many times when we come to the idea of love, we think to ourselves, well, I'm not really that loving of a person, or that's not really me. Uh, love is not an emotion or a feeling that you get. It's a choice that you make. <laughs> I remember Angela and I, when we first uh, began going to church after we'd been married, um, we'd gone to church, and they had a, uh, the church that we, we tried out probably a dozen different churches here in Honolulu before we found the church we settled in. And there was one church we went to. We went there for probably three weeks or so, and they said, after the service, we're going to have, uh, you know, juice and cookies downstairs and, uh, you know, stop by and hang out and, and grab some cookies and talk with folks in our church and stuff like that. Never. Always bolted for the car every single time. And Angel's like, well, we should stop. We don't really know anybody. That's fine. I don't need to know anybody. <laughs> I'm good. And so I would always go sit in the car and she would sit and try to make small talk with people over cookies. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. I wasn't going to do it. And so, and then some, we, that church didn't work out for us. We found another church and then we went to that. It had a handshaking time uh, during the, the song portion of the service. Every single time he said, hey, uh, find somebody around you and tell them hello this morning. I would go and walk into the bathroom every single time. I'm not shaking hands with him. And so I, and I wouldn't use the bathroom. I'd just stand there and look at myself in the mirror, like hands in my pockets. I am not talking. And like anybody coming into the bathroom during handshaking time, I'd say, what's up? That's it. Stand there. And the second that I heard him say, okay, find your way back to your seats, I'd walk out of the bathroom. Done. And I never had to talk to anybody. Hey, let's all stand for dismissing order prayer. Boom, I was at the door. Sweetheart, you can find me, I'll be in the car. I'll, I'll even have it cooled off for you. And after about four or five weeks of this, Angela's just like, look, we're never gonna get to know anybody. We're never gonna get plugged into a church if you keep doing this. And like, you really gotta get over yourself. And I said something profoundly spiritual to her. Hey, I don't come to church for these people. I come to church for me and to worship the Lord. I don't need these people. Sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? It wasn't. It was selfish. You know why? Because as I read the Bible, Jesus wasn't looking ways to get around people. He was looking for ways to run into people. Jesus wasn't looking ways to avoid a conversation. Jesus was looking for ways to get into a conversation. Jesus wasn't looking for ways to, to distance himself from people. He was looking for ways to draw people near. And I realized really quickly that if I'm not loving people, I'm not loving like Jesus. And so I did something crazy. I prayed and I asked God to change my heart. And I said, God, would you give me a love for people because I don't love people. I love myself way too much. And still to this day, I'm an introvert by nature. Still to this day, I'm socially awkward. I'm weird, I know that. Um, but I've asked God to give me a love for people and he has. I really enjoy being around people and, and find out who they are and where they came from and, and how I can pray for them and how I can encourage them and how they can get to where God wants them to be. I really enjoy that because I asked God to give me a love for people and he did. And so I say that to say God can change anybody. And again, if you think that like, oh, I'm just not wired that way. We're not asking how God made you. We're asking how God can change you. That's, that's really important. When it comes to the Christian life, we're not talking about how God made you or the deficiencies that you have inherent in your nature. We're asking how God can change you. And when we talk about being a people of love, when we're talking about being Christians who love, many times for us it's gonna require that God changes us. And again, it's not a feeling or an emotion that we have, it's a choice that we must make. I remember Angel and I were, were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago. The day that we got married on our wedding day, I remember standing there 
we, we got married uh, by the beach. I remember standing by her, holding her hands, saying my vows, thinking to myself, I could never possibly love her more than I do in this moment right now. I was overwhelmed with excitement, with giddiness, with, with nervousness, with anxiety. I was filled to the brim, exploding with feelings and hopes and dreams and goals and aspirations that I had for us. And just that moment, I was overwhelmed with love. But you know what I realized about a decade in? Those feelings don't last 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There comes points in times where I have to say, I choose to love you. I choose to put you first. Through this difficult time where I really just want what I want, I choose to want what you want here. And that's where the rubber meets the road with love is when it's a choice, not an emotion. Jesus says in Matthew chapter five on his Sermon on the Mount, hey, you love people that love you? Yeah, so what? Everybody does that. You're nice to people that are nice to you? Yeah, no kidding, everybody does that. But I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to love your enemies. I'm asking you to pray for those who persecute you. I'm asking you to bless those who talk poorly of you. I'm asking you to love people that are unlovable and don't love you back. That's what I'm asking. And you might say, well, I don't feel that. Good, because love is not a feeling, it is a choice that we make. And we must choose to love people like that. Hey, look, I couldn't name you a single enemy that I have in the world. There's nobody that I have ill feelings towards. Now, I can name you a lot of people that hate my guts. That's okay. But I don't have any ill feelings towards them because I've chosen to love them. I don't have any enemies. I don't have anybody that I need to make things right with because I've chosen to love people even when they have deemed themselves unlovable because that's what Christians do. We love, we're a people of love. And we have to understand what love looks like first and foremost. You might say, well, God didn't wire me that way. I'm not really a people person. Or I'm not really a loving person or uh, you don't know about my background or some things that happened to me in my life that makes it very difficult for me to love. Great, let me tell you this, that godly love is produced by the Holy Spirit. I'm not asking you to try harder or, or knuckle up and get it done. I'm asking you to allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in you and through you to produce a godly love. That's what I'm asking for. And again, to be a person of love might require some change, some maintenance on your part, and that's okay because God is in the change business. Oftentimes we want God to change our circumstances. We want God to change other people. We want God to change our bank account. But very rarely are we excited for God to change us. That's where the real work happens, you know? Because many times I can't change my circumstances, but I can change my reaction to the circumstances. I can't change other people, but I can change my disposition towards other people. Hey, look, this person might always be a jerk. This person might always be ugly and unkind to me, but I can choose to love them. That I can do. Well, I don't feel that way. Good, because love isn't a feeling. Well, I can't do that. Good, because love isn't produced by you. It's produced by the Holy Spirit inside of you. So here's what the Bible says. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That if you say, well, it's really hard for me to produce love on my own, good. Allow God to work inside of you to produce it. Because if you choose to walk in the Spirit, the Bible says here's what comes out. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, number one. Second, joy. Third, peace. Fourth, long-suffering. Goodness, gentleness, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance. 
God wants to produce all these things inside of you, through you. But it's not how good you are, not based on your background or your strengths or your weaknesses. It's about God at work inside of you. And if you haven't figured this out yet, let me help you with something. The Christian life is not about what you can do on your own. It's everything to do with what God can do in you and through you. And the second you realize that you are worthless and useless without God, the better off you're going to be. Because if you think that, like, oh, I'm a really good person, I'm a loving person automatically by nature, you don't get it yet. Because I can't love somebody that hates my guts. I can't love somebody that lies, tells lies about me. I, and look, here's the thing. I can handle a lot of things. You want to you talk negatively about me? Get in line, really. I'm used to it. I got thick skin at this point. You want to tell lies about me? That's fine. The truth, the truth will be made evident eventually, and I don't even care about that. You start talking about my family, though, like, I'm going to strangle you. Just know that. You talk about my wife, me, and you'll go out on the sidewalk and we'll handle it like men because that's what men do, right? But here's the thing. I can't be that way. You know why? Because the Bible commands me to love. Well, that's just not me. I want to go out and handle it out on the sidewalk. Of course you do. God says do it otherwise. God says be a person of love. Now, does that mean I can't defend my wife's honor? No, not at all. It just means I don't have to resort to violence or name-calling or being ugly. Does it mean I can't discipline my children? No, not at all. The Bible says if you don't discipline your children, you hate your kids. It means that I do it with a godly love and I do it in righteousness and holiness. But it's produced when the Holy Spirit's at work in my life. Romans chapter five, verse number five, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. That God's love shines through us that the love of God is shed, shined abroad in our hearts. How, where does that come from? From the Holy Spirit. And if you're a child of God, you have inside of you the Holy Spirit. If you're not a child of God, let me just tell you this, stop here. None of this applies to you. That's why I said if you miss anything out of the message today, miss everything else, but don't miss the fact that you need to be saved because once you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. Then you have the capability, the capacity to truly love the way that God loves It's important to understand, too, as Christians, without love, we are nothing, nothing. Look, you could have the best-looking pastor in town, and you, and you do. Yeah, thank you. God bless, man. It's taken me seven years, but I've trained her really, really well. But you have the best children's ministry in town. If you don't have love, you got nothing. Best teen program in town, don't have it, you got nothing. Best Bible preaching in town, if you don't have love, you have nothing. You know, if we can do all these good things for our community, if we don't have love, we're nothing. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, if you would. I want you to see this. We sometimes refer to 1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter. And for me, even when I do weddings, uh, I'll go to 1 Corinthians 13 and talk about to the... Uh, bride and groom and talk to them about what biblical love looks like. But it's important to understand the context of 1 Corinthians 13. It's not about necessarily boyfriend, girlfriend, or marital love. It's godly love. Christians should have this kind of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number one, though I speak with the tongues of angels, uh, tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Verse number one says right here from the very get-go, though I speak with the most eloquent speech anyone has ever heard before, 
If I don't have love, I'm just making a lot of noise. Now, I do want to hit pause here for just a second to clarify something. Paul's not saying here in verse number one that he speaks in an angelic language. That's not what he's saying. He's using what's called hyperbole. He's making an exaggeration to prove a point. He's saying, if I spoke with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm, I'm just making noise for no reason. He's not saying that there is an angelic language because sometimes uh, Pentecostals want to use this as a proof verse that they speak in tongues and they speak in uh, these words that I'm babbling. I don't know what they are, but it's an angelic language that I speak in. That's not what verse one is talking about. He's using hyperbole. And if you don't believe that in verse number three, he says, though I give my body to be burned. He never actually gave his body to be burned. He was making a, a point there. And he was saying, if I could speak in a language that only the angels knew, or if I could speak in the most eloquent tongue known to man, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Verse number two, he says, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. If I, I could be a spiritual giant who's able to take down mountains at my word, who is able to understand the Bible like no one's ever understood the Bible before, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Verse three, though I, do, though I bestow my goods and to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Even though if I do really, really good things, if I don't do it in love, I'm wasting my time. This is a good place to remember motives always matter to God, always. God is not a pragmatist in the fact that the ends justifies the means. Whatever way you get it done, that's fine. Uh, just get it done. That's not God. Hey, can you imagine us uh, when all this craziness is over? We're going to have a big, huge Hui Kala worship uh, service at the Blaisdell. We're going to have 5,000 people there all on a Sunday morning praising God. I'm going to preach the gospel, and we're praying that, man, hundreds of people would be saved. That would be awesome. Wouldn't it? We'd all go, yeah, that would be awesome. Let's do it. Now, to get 5,000 people there, what we're going to do is we're going to give away 10 Cadillac Escalades, but you must be present to win, right? Free admission, must be present to win. No, we're doing a good thing. We're getting a group of people together. We're worshiping God. We're, we're presenting the gospel, but the end doesn't justify the means. God cares about the motives. Are people there worshiping God out of a true heart? No, they're there worshiping a God of materialism and wanting to get something from it. Am I presenting God as giving his son to save us from our sin? No, I'm presenting God as an idol giver who gives you the materialistic desires of your sinful, wicked heart. So matters, motives always matter to God, always. Making a sacrifice to God, would that be considered a good thing? Definitely. Saul was told, I want you to go to obliterate this city. Don't leave anything standing. Men, women, children, livestock, everything dies. And he says, I think I'm going to hold back some, some sheep, some goats. I'm going to make a sacrifice to God to be able to worship God for the big victory that he gave us here. And so he did. And what happened? God judged Saul. God removed his hand of blessing from Saul. Saul then would endure great affliction. Saul would end up facing death because of this. And David was anointed king all because Saul was trying to do the right thing, but he wanted to do it his own way. Make a sacrifice to God, good thing. Make a sacrifice to God by rebelling against and disobeying God's commandment, never a good thing. 
And we live in a society today where Christian churches want to be pragmatists in the fact that we want to get a big crowd. So we won't talk about hell. We won't talk about sin. We won't talk about the Bible. We won't call out sin for what it is. We're going to make the Bible like a, a leadership book. And when we gather together to worship, we're going to use some vague biblical language, but we're really just going to talk about leadership principles from the Bible. And I'm going to tell you guys a story about a guy who chose 12 people by his own hand to follow him. And these 12 people turned the world upside down. And he even had one who hated his guts. How did Jesus take that one person who hated his guts and turn it into one of the greatest victories ever known? Leadership tips from Jesus. No, that's not the story of the Bible. But that gets a crowd. That gets even unsafe people to perk their ears up at that. We can get a big crowd with that. The end does not justify the means. God's not a pragmatist. God is a biblicist. He wants us to follow his word to the T. So if you and I decide we want to be really good Christians, but we want to do it our own way without love, God says it doesn't work that way. I want you to do everything I've commanded you, and I want you to do it with love because that's what my followers are. So without love, we are nothing. Turn back to Philippians chapter 1, if you would, if you turn in your Bible. Go back to Philippians 1. God doesn't just want us to have any type of love, though. Paul tells the church of Philippi in verse number 9, I want your love to grow more and more, but I want you to grow, and he says, knowledge and judgment. You see, God wants our love to be a discerning love. He wants us to be able to look at things and say, this is right, this is wrong. He wants us to be able to say, this is black, this is white. And Paul, as he writes to them, he says, I want your love that you have to be, continue to be intense, continue to be hot, continue to put other people before yourself, continue to show the love of, of God to other people. And Paul says, you've been really good at this, but I want you to grow in this area. We call it, you're doing a great job. This is one of the most loving church families I've ever been a part of in my entire life. Let's take it up a notch. I want you to grow in knowledge and discernment. I want you to grow in wisdom. So verse number nine, he says, and I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that you may approve things that are excellent. So our love must be a discerning love. What does that mean? Discernment always goes hand in hand with wisdom. And if we're gonna have a love that is discerning, first of all, we have to be wise. We have to go back to the source of wisdom. Colossians chapter four, verse number five says that we should walk in wisdom to them that are without. In other words, people that are unsaved, we need to walk in wisdom with them. Ephesians chapter five, the Bible speaks of walking in wisdom. Where do we find wisdom? We find wisdom in God's word. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Proverbs. You take the wisest man to ever live outside of Jesus Christ. And we always have to put that asterisk beside Solomon's name in the, the record book for wisdom because the wisest man to ever walked the face of the planet was Jesus. But it's not really fair to compare Solomon's wisdom against God in the flesh. You know, it's just, he's gonna come up short every time. So Solomon, wisest man to ever walked the, the face of the earth, asterisk beside his name, aside from Jesus Christ. This guy has children and he has boys. And he says to his boys, I want to write you a book of all the wisdom that I have that will help you in life. I want you to be able to be wise like I am, so I'm going to give you 
all the wisdom that I can think of to put on paper. Here it is. It's the book of Proverbs. Like, who wouldn't want to read that? This guy's writing a letter, the wisest man ever lives, writing a letter to his boys about, here's how you win at life. Hello, let me read that. And God says, of course, I'll make it part of my word. And if you read through the book of Proverbs, first of all, if you've never read it, you gotta read it. That's, it's required reading for Christians. But here's the awesome thing about Proverbs. Proverbs has 31 chapters, and every month has 30 or 31 days so you could read today, September the 13th. You could read Proverbs 13 today. Tomorrow is the 14th. Read Proverbs 14 tomorrow. And you go, well, I could read the whole book of Proverbs in a month. You could. And you could start all over again. And it's gonna blow your mind the second time too. Because the Bible's a living book. The Bible isn't stagnant in the fact that it always is what it is. You know, there's movies that I watch. We watch uh, It's a Wonderful Life. It happens the same every year. It's no different, you know? You got Juju's pedals in the coat pocket and stuff. They're always there. And it never changes, right? You can watch, we watch Elf every year at, at Christmas. Man, I love that movie. It is so funny. And the same parts are just as funny every, every single year. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. It's so funny, you know? And, and sometimes we'll be in the car and, and my kids will say, uh, Dad, sing a song or something like that. And I say, uh, I'm singing a song for my dad. And um, it's just funny. It's always funny. It's consistently funny. But it's always exactly the same. And you always know what's coming. And you always laugh at the same parts. The same parts are always funny. Francisco. Ooh, that's fun to say. Francisco. It's consistently funny. Here's what God's word is. God's word is different because it's a living book. It's not like watching the same movie over and over. Like every time you read it, it hits you different. Like I probably read the Psalms a hundred times in my life, but two weeks ago I was reading through the Psalms and I read a verse that, that I literally had to stop and like put my hand over my mouth like, oh my soul. How is that verse not circled, starred, underlined in my Bible? Like, that? oh, that is so good. I'd stop and I'd read it, I'd reread it. I read the cross-references in my Bible for that, and I go back and read it again. And then I'm like two verses down, I realize how the verse two verses down actually relates back to that verse again. It's just like, oh, this is so good. Why? Because the Bible's alive. It's a living book. And so if you read Proverbs every single day for the rest of your life, you will never squeeze out all of the wisdom there. It's inexhaustible. And God's word is that way. I don't care how many times you read the Bible, read it again because you can always squeeze more wisdom out of the Bible. And so Solomon writes the book of Proverbs and we find four people that he goes back to again and again and again to the book of Proverbs. I'm gonna share with, him, with, him, with them with you this morning because it, it's gonna help you. And I want you to allow God's word to examine your own life this morning, to find yourself which category you're in, and maybe you're in one category in one area of your life and another category in another. But the first type of person that the book of Proverbs talks about is the wise man. If you're taking notes right outside your notes here, the wise man, this is the target. This is who you wanna be. When you read through the book of Proverbs or when you read through the Bible and it speaks of wisdom, go, ooh, yeah, I want that. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for, wisdom. The Bible says the beginning of, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It all starts with 
being a child of God. Uh, and let me tell you this, if you're not saved, if you're not a child of God, first of all, be saved today. Be born again today if you don't know for sure that you're saved. But secondly, you can't have wisdom without having God. This doesn't work that way. If you're not saved, you'll never be wise. And so seek after wisdom. Wisdom is not just the accumulation of knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's the person who knows what to do and actually does it. That's what differentiates the wise man. Proverbs chapter 9, verse number 9 says this, Give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. The wise man is always looking to get wiser. One of the clear indications that you are not wise when you say, I think I've got it all figured out. I don't think I, there's anything else for me to learn. I didn't go to church last Sunday because I've read the whole Bible. You, my friend, are not wise. I'm thankful that there's people that continue to seek after wisdom in our church. We had a marriage enrichment seminar uh, this past uh, February. And we had three couples, three couples in our uh, church that have been married for over three decades that were there for a marriage enrichment seminar. You know what they were saying? We don't have it figured out yet. We want more wisdom. Maybe there's something we can learn from this. They didn't have the attitude of, yeah, we've been there, done that. Yeah, we've, we've been long, married longer than you have, Pastor. What do you have to offer? When they came with a spirit of humility, hey, I want to learn. I want to grow. Did our men's leadership weekend uh, four or five weeks ago. We had men that had been saved for longer than I've been alive. They came, you know why? Because they want to learn more. They didn't say, hey, Pastor, if you need me to teach, I've been saved for four plus decades. I'd be happy to teach. No, they said, I want to learn. There's something somewhere I can grow. Share with me something. The wise man will increase in wisdom. For me, I try to read 40 to 50 books a year. You know why? Because I'm not that smart. I've accumulated a lot of wisdom over the years, but I want to get wiser. I read books on parenting, pastoring. I read books on marriage. I read books on, you know, leadership. I want to learn in every area that I, I want to grow. I want to be better. And so the wise man wants to continue to grow in wisdom. He wants to continue to seek instruction. So when we talk about wisdom, it's the application of the knowledge that you have. Second person that we find in the Bible is the simple in the book of Proverbs. Now the simple is just ignorant. They don't know any better. Nobody taught them. They're kind of winging it. They don't even know what they don't know. My wife and I, when we got married, incredibly simple. Here's how our premarital counseling went down. The two of us sat down on the couch. I said, I love you. You love me. I can't live my life without you. Let's get married. And she said, sounds like a great idea. That was it. I didn't know premarital counseling was a thing. I didn't know you were supposed to sit down with a pastor and, and, and get prepared for marriage. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that you were supposed to have a financial plan. The day that we got married, I think I had $200 in my checking account. I had $0 in savings. Like I didn't... I didn't really know how I was going to pay my bills next month, much less support a family. never thought that through. I wasn't being stupid. I just didn't know any better. I was simple. Our very first Christmas, um, we, we spent here in, in Honolulu. We just moved here in the military. And our first Christmas, we, uh, she said, hey, when you get off work, I'd like to go first to pick out a Christmas tree this Christmas. And man, that'll be fun. Uh, I said, we can go to, to Sears, Sears at Pro Ridge and we'll get a, a tree there. And she goes, do they have live trees? And I go, we're not getting a live tree. 
She says, you can't have a fake Christmas tree, like against the law. <laughs> no, it's not. It's fine. People do it all the time. She said, no, part of the fun of Christmas is picking out the Christmas tree. Yeah, but then you got to get a stand, you got to put it in water, you got to pick up pine needles, and then it's going to be crooked, and then you, does it fit, and you got to cut it. Said, Baby, that's too much drama. We're going to get a fake tree. And so our first heated discussion was on the uh, live or fake Christmas tree. Where, where are my fake Christmas tree people at? Raise your hand. Self-identify this morning. Where, where are the real Christmas trees? If it ain't real, it ain't real Christmas. Okay, I'll forgive you. Um, <laughs> so finally, um, the discussion got to the point where she said, fine, we'll get a fake Christmas tree. Well, here's the thing. Uh, because I didn't plan financially, because I was a terrible money manager, because I was simple, I didn't really... We made enough money to pay our bills, but I didn't steward it appropriately because nobody ever taught me to budget and to do things like that. We were broke. And so we go to the Sears at Pearl Ridge, and um, we, we found this really sad little fake Christmas tree. But it was what we could afford. It was like $75. And so we get up to, to the front, and the lady's checking us out, and she says, if you'd like to apply for a Sears credit card today, we'll take 10% off your order. We're broke. I'll take every percent I can get. 10%. Got it. So I fill out the application, she punches in her computer, and she, I, I could take you to the counter at Pearl Ridge where this happened. She slid across the table a receipt that had printed out of, the, of the, the, the cash register. And she circled the amount on the bottom. This is how much Sears credit you have, $15,000. I felt like I hit the lottery. <laughs> what? Like 30 seconds ago, I was broke. Now I got, I got more money than I know what to do with it. I told Angela, put this janky Christmas tree away. Go get us a good Christmas tree. I'm talking about a like good Christmas tree. And like that nativity scene, get that nativity scene too. Like we're, we got money now, hello. And we did. We went and bought a $500 fake Christmas tree. We bought the nativity scene. Now, hold up. To this day, if you come to our house at Christmas time, it's the same Christmas tree. That nativity scene, all of our kids have played with baby Jesus in that, and we still have that nativity scene to this day, okay? So before you, you roast me on this, just say, <laughs> we've gotten our mileage out of it, okay? But here's the thing. I didn't know any better. I was simple. I thought this was free money. I can't afford a $500 Christmas tree, but I can afford $40 a month. I didn't realize it was $40 a month for the rest of my life, but I realized I could pay $40 a month. I, was, I didn't know nothing. There was no damn Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. You know, Dave Ramsey was probably going through bankruptcy at that time, right? I mean, like, here's, I didn't know nothing about nothing. It wasn't that I was trying to be stupid. I just wasn't wise. I was simple. Now, the second that I had time to calculate out how much credit card debt we had gone into and the interest payments we were making and how long that would take me to pay it off, and once I realized that I'm going to be paying on this for the rest of my life if I'm making minimum payments, and I'm going to pay 12 times what this was worth, once I realized all that, hey, wait a minute, something's wrong. I need to fix that. That was wisdom. But simplicity was, I didn't know any better. Nobody taught me. And the good news about the simple is the simple can become wise, the Bible says. Proverbs 14, 15 says about the simple, the simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. You know, it's interesting that the simple person, they hear somebody say it, they automatically believe it's true. Oh, pastor, 
Did you know that if you drink bleach, you won't get the coronavirus? I saw this video on YouTube about it. Wait, what? My daughter, McKeely, said, Dad, I saw this video on YouTube that if you put your phone in the microwave, you can actually charge the battery quicker. Did you watch the end of the video? She's like, no, I just saw the headline of it. Yeah, watch the rest of the video. The kid's phone blows up and the kid cries. Don't, you can't do it. Oh, I didn't know. Now, is my daughter stupid? No, she's just simple. She didn't know. She just saw a headline that says, put your phone in the microwave and it charges it. She assumed it to be true. The simple believes everything, but the wise wants to investigate it. Hey, I've got this stock I want to sell you that you'll be able to double your money in 30 days. <laughs> Explain to me how this works. I don't know how it works. Just do it. No. No, 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 no. The simple says, ooh, it worked for you. Let me give it a shot. That's what the simple says. And know this, the world preys on the simple. This is how people get caught up in, in, in buying, you know, limp pl pl lip plumping products and things like that because they're simple. This is how people get on detox diets because they're simple. Because they, somebody said that it worked and so I'm gonna give it a shot. The Bible says that we shouldn't seek simplicity, we should seek wisdom. Proverbs 22.3 says, the, the prudent man seeth, foreseeth evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. The wise man goes, ooh, this is headed a difficult direction. I, I might need to dial it back a bit, but the simple just plows right through. The wise man sees the mess that our nation is in today and says, ooh, let's dial this back a notch. Let's see how we can try to course correct this. The simple is just like, meh, just is what it is. Enjoy life. No, no, no. The simple says, hey, life's here today. Enjoy it today. You don't have to promise it tomorrow. The wise man says, oh, I'm going to have to think about the consequences of this in the future. Single adults, I want to encourage you to be sexually pure. Save yourself for marriage, for the person that you marry. You say, well, that's not really the way the world works. I know how the world works. I know what God's word says too. I also know that one of these days you're going to have to, before you stand at the wedding altar, you're going to have to tell the person that you're spending the rest of your life with about your sexual indiscretions that you didn't think of anything of at the time. Then there's a lot of heartache and hurt that's going to come. I'm trying to help you to be wise. I'm trying to help you look down the road a little bit further not make foolish mistakes. You're gonna have kids one day, they're gonna ask you, well, I know you say that we shouldn't have sex before marriage, but did you? Walk in wisdom, do the right thing. God's, God's ways are always best. Simple, doesn't know any better, they're just ignorant. Now, the, the third category of the person we find in, in Proverbs is the fool. Here's the worst part about the fool. The fool knows what to do, he just chooses to do otherwise. I know what God's word says. So he has the knowledge, but he goes against what he knows to be true. Well, I know the Bible says that lust is wrong, but pornography just seems to be the easier route for me. You're a fool. Fool. Well, I know that the world says that you, know, you should be sexually promiscuous, but I found somebody that I really care about. You're a fool. You don't understand. Well, I know the Bible says that, you know, we can't find satisfaction in materialism, but this thing that I want, this car that I want, this house that I want, this thing that I've got to have, it's going to bring fulfillment for me. You're a fool. You don't understand how this works. And so the fool knows what's right, 
but for whatever reason thinks that the, the rules don't apply to them, that they're the exception to the rule, or they just willingly go against wisdom. Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Proverbs 29.11. I think of this every time somebody says to me. I've said it before, and so I'll have grace on all of you who've also said it. Maybe you said something like this. Whatever you see is what you get. Like, whatever's on my mind, you don't have to worry about where we stand because I'm going to tell you where we stand. Whatever I think about something, you're just going to automatically know because I'm going to say what's on my mind. I, I, got, I got no filter from my head to my mouth, no filter. Just whatever it is, is what it is. And we sometimes think that that's like a badge of honor. Like, you're such a man of your word. No. You know what the Bible says? A fool uttereth his whole mind. A fool is the one who says everything that comes to their mind. A fool is the person who always has to have something to say. You're a fool, and when you say, well, I got no filter, what you see is what you get, all you're doing is confessing the fact that you are a fool. But you know what the Bible says? A fool uttereth all of his mind, but a wise man keepeth it until afterwards. Hmm, I could say something here, but I think I'm just gonna hold off till later. Yeah, I could, mm, yeah, I'm just not gonna say that. That's not helpful. For me, sometimes, <laughs> I find myself in awkward situations where people say awkward things. And to make it less awkward, I'll sometimes I'll make a joke or I'll try to say something and have quick wit. And let me just tell you, I don't have quick wit. I just say a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> and I found myself having to put the brakes on. Uncomfortable silence is uncomfortable for a reason because it's uncomfortable. <laughs> and sometimes you just have to let people's words sit before you add foolishness to an already awkward conversation. So you don't have to say everything that comes to your mind. A wise man thinks on those things and keeps his word until afterwards. Here's what Proverbs 14, 7 says, go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. Hey, if you're hanging out with a bunch of fools and you realize that all these people are fools, you need to dismiss yourself. My son Vanderlei is a freshman in college and he's getting to know new people and stuff like that, which I'm 100% for. He's invited several folks to church, which I'm thankful for. We had a talk. Hey, look, the first time somebody cracks a beer open in your presence, you need to split. That's not where you want to be. First time somebody pulls out a joint and wants to pass it around, you need to split. That's not where you want to be. First time somebody starts having crude sexual talk about other girls, you need to, to pull the plug, hit the eject button, get out of there. That's not where you want to be. And these are not dad's rules for kids. This is God's rules for Christians. Again, uh, Proverbs uh, 14, 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not the lips of knowledge are in him. Once you realize you're hanging out with a bunch of idiots, get out of there. So again, it's not because I'm better than you. It's because I'm seeking to be wise. And, and let me just tell you this. You don't get wise by hanging out with fools. You just don't. You get wise by seeking wisdom. Proverbs 26, 11. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. We were, uh, the gym that I go to, this is, man, nine months or so ago now. It's a very dog-friendly gym where people bring their dogs in, the dogs run around and play and stuff like that. The gym owner has his dog there and he runs around and plays and stuff like that and everybody's cool with dogs being around. These two dogs were, were, were playing back and forth and stuff like that, and they do the awkward thing where dogs sniff each other, and it was really awkward, but everybody was 
kind of thought it was funny. And then one of the dogs there on the mat where everybody works out, one of the dogs threw up. And it's just like, first of all, that's disgusting. I'm trying to work out over here. Dog vomit, nasty. And so they, they grabbed one dog, the, the dog that had thrown up, to get him, take him outside and stuff like that. When they did, the other person's dog came over there and started eating the dog's vomit. And, and but here's, here's me and my first one. Just as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool to his folly. Isn't it amazing that our society today, when someone ruins their life in sin, and they get taken outside because they've ruined their life, everybody else runs over to their sin and gets involved in that? Isn't it amazing how that happens? Just like a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool to his folly. A fool isn't somebody who's like, wow, that was a really stupid decision. I don't want to ever do that again. That would be wisdom. No, a fool goes, that was a stupid decision. I think I'll try it again. Boy, that left me with a lot of guilt and remorse and regret. Maybe I'll try it again. Man, that, that almost wrecked my life. I think I'll give it another shot. Hey, I've got two DUIs. If I get a third one, I'll lose my license for five years. Huh, maybe I won't get caught this time. What? No. A fool continues to go back again and again and again to his foolish ways despite the consequences. Now, the fourth type of person that we find in, in Proverbs is the most dangerous, is the scorner. This is a person who hates wisdom and hates the wise man and hates correction and hates to be told that they're wrong. This is dangerous. Because the Bible says that the simple can be made wise by walking in wisdom, by knowing wisdom, by knowing wise people. The Bible says that the fool can be corrected. But the Bible goes so far as to say, don't bother trying to correct or rebuke the scorner. They're just going to hate you for it. And so it's almost like this category here is almost past the point of no return when it comes to wisdom. Because they hate, they abhor wisdom. They want nothing to do with it. They mock wisdom. They mock those who would follow after wisdom. And just know, because the simple and the foolish are so impressionable, the scorner is a very dangerous person for them to be around because they're so easily impressionable. Proverbs 13, number one says, a wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. I'm not even going to hear what you have to say. Proverbs 15, 12, a scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go into the wise. Doesn't want anything to do with wisdom, doesn't want to hear any words of wisdom, doesn't want to hear from the wise man. Proverbs 9, 7, he that reproveth a scorner gets a, getteth himself shame. He that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a, blo a blot. Here's what it says, reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. But if you rebuke the wise man, he'll love you. That's what it says. So you rebuke a scorner, the only thing that you're going to do is make him hate you worse than he already does. But you want to rebuke somebody, rebuke a wise man because he'll love you and he'll appreciate that. So the scorner of the Bible says we should cast out from us that they're only going to cause more problems, they're going to cause more division, they're going to take the simple and the fool down with them. And the only value that the Bible says in that comes from rebuking a scorner is that the simple person can be made wise. 
Proverbs chapter 21, 11 says, when the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise, and when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. We had a situation several years ago where we had a scorner who was a part of our church. Anytime that happens, the Bible gives us clear guidelines as how we deal with it. Matthew chapter 18 tells us how we go through the process. We go to that person, we ask them to make it right. If they won't hear it, you get witnesses who back that up and verify that this guy doesn't want to hear it. If that doesn't happen, you tell it to the church, and the church treats that person like an unsaved person. That's how it works, Matthew chapter 18. But this person had gone next level, and they were a scorner. And so we publicly rebuked this scorner. We, we had a meeting with our church family and told them what had happened with this person and what they'd done and the, the, the ugly things that they'd done, the ugly things that they'd said. And the purpose of this was not that the scorner would come back and repent and make things right. It was to let everybody know, hey, when a scorner acts like this, this is how the church deals with it. And the Bible says that the simple will sit back and go, whoa, that's a big deal. Like a zero tolerance on rebellion against God and his plan and scorning against truth and wisdom. And the Bible says the simple can be made wise when the scorner is rebuked. Now, we all want to be wise. I want you to be wise. But you might be looking at your life and go, I think I'm wise in this area, but I'm probably pretty foolish in this other area. This this area of my life where I'm willingly rebelling against wisdom and what God tells me to do. Man, make it right. Be wise in that area too. I want to encourage you to walk in wisdom and be a wise person, but know this, wisdom comes from a love for truth. And when I say truth, I'm talking capital T truth. as found in God's word. You want to be a wise person, love the Bible. It's the source of wisdom. Source of wisdom is not your your grandpa and all the the cool one-liners that your grandpa has. That might be cool and it might be witty and there might be some wisdom found in that, but that's not the source of wisdom. Hey, look, your pastor is not the source of all wisdom. God's word is. Does this mean we don't need wise people in our life? No, not at all. We need wise people in our lives. But it does mean that at the end of the day, I want to help you as Christians to be so well equipped to know God's word so well that you need very little guidance from me. Because you're discerning. Because you're walking in wisdom. You know what the Bible says. So that, here's the thing, I wish you could read my, my text messages I get on my phone sometimes because they're so good. Hey, Pastor, we saw this documentary on Netflix, but uh, I'm a little bit concerned because this group is Seventh-day Adventists, and the more the study that I do, I don't think Seventh-day Adventists think that you and I are real Christians. Yeah, you're right. Good for you. Study it further. And what are, what are we going to study it based on? Study it based on Scripture. Now, study it based on some YouTube video that we found somewhere. No, we're going to go based on wisdom here. And so I'm thankful when, when people say, hey, pastor, I got this situation coming up at work. How should I handle that? They're seeking wisdom. That's good. Several years ago, one of the, the coolest text messages I've ever gotten from a, a member of our church family. Pastor, I was counseling one of my sailors who had gotten pregnant out of wedlock. She was thinking about abortion, but I shared with her what you had said about every life matters. I gave her the number of the Pregnancy Crisis Center in YPO that our church supports. And I encouraged her to seek either adoption or keep her baby, and she decided that she would. (laughs) Praise God. Somebody took wisdom and passed it on. But again, this comes from loving truth. I want to hear the Bible preached. I want to hear the Bible explained. I want to read the Bible for myself. I'd encourage you, if you don't already have, get yourself a good study Bible. There's some over in our bookstore, the Life Application Study Bible, I believe is one of the best study Bibles out there because it tells you what the Bible says and how you apply it to your daily life. 
become a student of the word, you gotta love truth. Paul says in Colossians 1, 9, as he writes to the church at Colossae, for this cause also since today we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and the desire you might be filled with the knowledge and his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I want you to be a spiritually discerning church. I want you to love God so much and allow God's word to be the, the ruler in which everything is judged by. It's the standard for truth. So that when you hear some guy on Christian radio preaching and he's really funny and he's really engaging and he tells these, these cute little stories that he has, but there's not really any Bible there. I want you to say, that was kind of entertaining, but there wasn't any Bible there. I want you to be able to hear when you hear a, a cutesy Christian song on Christian radio to say, eh, that, there was no message in that at all. That was just a lot of fluff and a lot of spiritual language. Like, if you change the chorus on that, that could totally be a Taylor Swift song, right? That's not Christian worship music. I want you to be able to go to a, the Christian, I'll use an air quotes, section of the bookstore at Barnes & Noble and go, mm -hmm, that's, no, 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 no. That's not good. I want you to even take books that we have in, in our, our church bookstore that we have and say, hey, I want to line this up by scripture and see what this looks like. I want you to love the truth so much that you can discern for yourself. Now, here's the bottom line. I want you to be a lover of truth, but we cannot love others at the expense of truth. What that means is I can't choose to love somebody yet withhold the truth from them because I love them too much. Now, we're just going to call a spade a spade. We're called a spade in a loving way but I can't choose that I love people so much that I cannot be honest about truth. There's a couple who attended our church for a little while and um, they've been attending for probably two or three weeks and he shared with me his testimony of salvation. He shared with me all these great things that God was doing in his life and things God was teaching him and he got into to a good solid podcast online that he was listening to, um, Bible teaching and preaching and things like that. We were talking about, you know, deep theological issues when he came and, and the girlfriend that he, that he brought with him, you know, she was sharing about that, how she got saved but really started walking with Jesus in the last six months or so and they were making really good spiritual progress and we talked about that for a while and then the second time they came back to the church and I said, hey, I was just looking at your guys, uh, and she told me that her dad was a pastor, too. The other thing she told me. I said, hey, I took a look at your guys' connection card last week. I said, the address that you guys wrote down, is that, is that your address or, or hers? And he goes, both. Oh. Okay. I just want to tell you, I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't tell you this, that living together before marriage robs you from the joy of your future marriage. It sets you up for temptation. And according to God's word, it's, it's first of all, not wise. Second of all, it's a sin. I just wanted to say that. I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't tell you that. And he goes, I didn't ask, but thanks. And he left. Well, never see them again. Um, but I have to say it, right? I can't say I love you so much and I don't care about your situation and I'm going to say, oh, great that you guys are living together. Let me know how it works out. No, i got to say it. I came back the next week and said, thanks for telling us that. We've been to a lot of churches and nobody's ever told us that. And... Um, and so, you know, God's doing a work in us, and part of the work that I think he needs to do is this, this process of us, you know, either getting married or, or, or moving out until we get married. And so he said, we're going to start making progress towards getting married. And so we went through prenatal counseling, they ended up getting married, and yeah, made it right before God. Praise God. But I'm not just going to say, oh, good for you guys. I'm so happy for you. 
I'm not happy for anybody that lives in sin. But I can't love them at the expense of truth. By the same token, we cannot love the truth at the expense of love for others. I can't be so caught up in being right that I forget that this is a person. Every single time I drive past Kapilani and K.A. Moku, right across from Alamona Center, across from where the Walgreens used to be. Every single time I drive past there, there's usually a, a person sitting up there with a rack of Watchtower magazines, Jehovah's Witnesses, standing there with magazines in their hands. Every time I drive past and I see that, it hurts my heart. Because I see people who think if they stand on a corner and they pass out enough magazines that their name gets put to the head of the line of the only 144,000 people that make it to heaven. It breaks my heart. Did you just know that if you would repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, that you could be saved and you never have to pass out another magazine for the rest of your life? Did you know that? My heart hurts for them. Every time I see someone caught up in Catholicism, I think to myself, do you know that you don't have to jump through all these hoops and attend a class and be baptized and go to confession and, and take communion and all this other. You don't have to do any of that. You just have to confess your sin before Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior alone and be done with it. And my heart hurts for him. When I see people caught up in the God of materialism, my heart hurts for him. But I cannot love truth so much that these people become expendable to me. Or even worse, these people become my enemies. Know this, false religion is an enemy of God. Set up by Satan himself because the Bible says he's the father of all lies. Secondly, idolatry is the enemy of God. Whether what form your idolatry takes, whether it's your sexual orientation or your sexual uh, promiscuity, whether it's pornography, whether it's materialism, whether it's gossip, whether it's need for validation, whatever it is, it's idolatry and it's an enemy of God. That person is never my enemy. That person is a soul that Jesus died for that needs to know truth. And the only way they can get truth is in is the same way that Jesus did, through love. You know what Jesus did? He sat down at a well with a woman. And he said, hey, let's talk. Go grab your husband. We can sit down and talk. I don't have a husband. Yeah, I know. I know all about that. And you know what he did? He shared truth with her through compassion. A woman caught in adultery, worthy of being stoned by the law. Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but you can't keep living this way. Go and sin no more. Jesus, with tenderness and compassion and love for the truth, still loved people. He saw people as people. It grieves me and it grieves the heart of God when so-called Christians celebrate the demise of other human beings. There were so-called Christians and so-called churches who celebrated the shooting up of a gay nightclub in Orlando. May God forgive them for that and may they repent of such cold-heartedness. For people who celebrate natural disasters in Asian countries and say it's God's, God's judgment on false religion, 
Let us never celebrate the demise of other people and in some way call it some sick version of judgment. If God chooses to judge it, he'll do it. But let's remember, these are souls that we've been entrusted with getting the gospel to. Look, if somebody dies in their sin, that's, a, that's on our head that we didn't get them the gospel. So we can't love the truth so much that we don't love people. But we can't love people so much that we don't love the truth. There has to be divine balance, godly balance. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. Jesus was willing to, to love and forgive, but he also was not going to move the goalposts to acquiesce anyone. So, when we talk about love, first of all, we grow in our love for other. when we grow in our love for God. The two of these are directly linked. That's why Jesus says, the first commandment, love God. The second is just like it, love your neighbor the same way that you love yourself. The more that I love God, the more that I'll love other people. It happened to me, and I'm proof that God can change anybody. I didn't love people. I loved myself way too much. But I allowed God to change me because I loved God so much, because I wanted to be like Jesus. I allowed God to change me too, so that I can love people not through my own love or how, whatever I can whip up for them, but I love them through the love that God has given me. And we grow for others by having a, growing in our love for God first and foremost. Secondly, we grow in love by being controlled by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you see, godly love is not something that you and I can just whip up on command. It's not something we can just like, like make happen on our own. Romantic love for my wife, I can whip that up. You know what I can do? I can do things like flowers. I can do things like sending her out for a massage. I can do things like buying her a Target gift card. I can play some music that we used to listen to when we were dating. I can put together some sappy, uh, you know, collage of photos uh, of when we were dating and uh, throughout the years. And I can whip up this and I can take her to a fancy dinner and take her out and we can whip up feelings of romantic emotion. Godly love doesn't work that way. You can't just make it happen. You know what you have to do? You have to walk in the spirit so that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Godly love comes from being controlled by the Holy Spirit. That when my flesh goes, oh, I'd rather do this, I say, mm, no, not today. I choose to do things God's way. Well, life would probably be better if you gave in. This. No, I'm not gonna give in in that area. I'm gonna choose God's way instead. I choose to die to my flesh and be alive to my spirit. I choose to surround myself with solid Christian worship music that draws my heart closer towards the heart of God. I choose to surround myself with Christian friends who are going the same direction than I am, whose heart is also drawn towards God. I choose to surround myself with Christian books that are gonna help me to be a better Christian and to walk with God. I choose to surround myself with the word of God every single day without fail. I choose to put myself under the preaching of the word of God week by week by week so that God's word can change my heart, which will change my life. That's what I choose to do, and that's how my godly love can grow. Next, we grow in discernment by becoming students of the word. Study the Bible, know the Bible, know what the Bible says. Now again, even in your study of the Bible, you need to be discerning. Just because everything calls itself Christian doesn't make it Christian. Just because somebody calls themselves a theologian doesn't mean that they're theologically correct. So again, as we study the Bible, we're gonna allow truth to communicate truth. It's been said before and it's definitely the truth. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. The Bible talks about itself, all throughout itself. 
Now become a student of the Bible. Again, if you don't have a good study Bible, buy one. If you're not part of a small group where we spend time together praying for each other and to hearing the Bible talked about and, and, and being able to discuss it, join a small group this week. It's a great way to continue to walk in wisdom. But become a student of God's word. Again, I mentioned last Sunday that Angela and I had been walking with Jesus for 20 plus years. That means 3,000 times in 20 years we've sat down in a church service with our Bibles open, ready to hear from God's word. 3,000 times. It takes time, but it's worth it. Become a student of the word. That's where you'll find wisdom. Next, we grow in discernment by surrounding ourselves with godly counselors. I never make any life-changing decision in my life without 90 days of prayer and fasting and without talking to five men that I know that love and walk with Jesus for decades. Never. Just don't do it. Why? Because I have the capability to mess up my life on a whim. So I never do it without getting lots of good godly counsel, ever. But I don't make major life decisions without getting godly counsel because I don't trust myself. One of the wisest counselors that I have is my wife. She is far wiser than me, far wiser than her, her years. And I don't make any major decision at all in my life without talking with her first. Now, please understand, I, I perfectly understand Ephesians 5. I understand that I'm the head of my house, that at the end of the day, I gotta make the call, that I call the shots, that I have the final say. I understand that 100%. But look, if, if I'm a general going into war, I need a solid chief of staff at my side telling me where I need to hit and what I need to do. Man, my wife is my chief of staff, but at the end of the day, I gotta make the call. But I have submitted not to her authority, but I have submitted to godly wisdom. And wisdom can take a, a shade of, of different places, different sources. And so again, at the end of the day, I wanna surround myself with as many godly people as I can. Again, if you're a fool, the worst thing you can do is surround yourself with other fools because you're gonna become more foolish. If you wanna be wise, surround yourself with wise people and you can become wise as well. That's why some of the closest friendships that I have in my life are with godly, wise men. Because that's the direction I wanna go. Those are the people that I wanna be with. Now, my dad is a, a godly man that loves the Lord. I talk to my dad about some things, and some things I, I don't talk to him about because there's areas that he's wise in, areas that he's not necessarily as wise, and that's okay. But I want to encourage you to seek out wisdom. Sometimes we get this idea that if I ask for help, that's showing weakness on my part. No, no, no. The Bible says that the wise man wants to become wiser. That's not weakness. That's wisdom. You're foolish if you think you can trust your gut. You're foolish if you think you can go it alone. You're foolish if you don't think you need anybody's input. That's actually showing foolishness. So seek to surround yourself with wisdom. So God says, I want you to be a people of love but not just any kind of love. I want you to love with discernment. Paul's saying, you guys are doing a great job with love, but I want you to take it up a notch. I want you to take it up a notch with knowledge and judgment. I want you to become more wise, more discerning in your love that you have. I want you to prove those things which are excellent. We'll get into that next week. Most important thing in the world is if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure if you die today, heaven's your home. Please don't leave here today without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. We're not gonna try to talk you into joining our church. We're not trying to make you be a Baptist. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to take a class on Saturday mornings. You just need to sit down with somebody and hear how you can know for sure 
that you can be saved today. We'd have, be happy to have a guy sit down with a guy, a lady sit down with a lady, and share with you the truth of eternal life. But for those of us that are, are already Christians, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You need this week to walk in wisdom. Maybe there's an area of your life where you've been foolish. Would you walk in wisdom? Maybe there's an area where you're, you're simple. You say, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. Good, would you learn so that you can walk in wisdom? Maybe you're like me and you say, well, I'm just not that loving of a person. That's not how I'm wired. Good, would you allow God to change your heart? He wants to. Whatever God's spoken to your heart about today, I want to encourage you to be obedient to that. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.